Hello, Real Talk listeners. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are starting a new series today. Super excited. So we are starting our series on Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. We are super excited about this series because a lot of organizations actually use this book or this training to facilitate to their teams um, to really help leverage a more successful and robust and well-rounded team and their organization. And so we are literally using this next five weeks to break down each one. And obviously, you know, we're not going to you know, tease you with all of it at once, like we normally do in kind of high level, we're just going to get deep down and dirty into the first one, which is absence of trust. And so really, what we're going to do during this series is break it down for you, tell you a a little bit about the dysfunction. And then we're going to tell you how you can really what the opposite of that dysfunction is and how to apply it in your organization, whether you are the employee personally or your leader, because that's just what we're doing in our podcast. So Michelle, tell us about absence of trust. So um, it's funny. I actually, um, I was introduced to this book probably in 2005. Um, and it was because my direct supervisor at the time felt like he could really, um, we were a remote team and he really wanted to pull us together. And one of the things that stood out to me as I read through the book in absence of trust in particular is how much of that is driven by the leader versus necessarily driven by the individual team members that, you know, so the root cause of absence of trust, it really lies when as peers or as teammates, we start to believe that it is unacceptable to show our weaknesses or to be vulnerable um, with one another. And I think that happens for various reasons. And for me, And what I found in my life is that a huge part of that inability to be vulnerable with your team is a result of direction coming down from your supervisor um, or from your direct uh, manager. Now, the problem is, and this is why this one is so critical, and we're really going to dig into this one, with the absence of trust, the rest of them are irrelevant. You are not going to accomplish the positive side of teamwork if you can't even get past the fact that you don't trust each other. And so when you think about absence of trust, um, there's a lot of things that come into play here. It is that you're hesitant to ask for help. You conceal your weaknesses. Um, You tend to try to match or look better than your peers because you're always playing this game of who's going to be at the top. You dread meetings. You avoid conversations with your peers um, in the process. But you know what? I want to pause on this one because while I think that the book's ability to explain this particular absence of trust is really phenomenal, it's written in a fable form, which makes it super easy to follow because you're following a real or a a fictional, but you're following a scenario as you would looking at the day. I think that this is a big one 
to recognize the gaps here, particularly because it's what lots of people talk about. How many times have we as HR professionals heard things like, we need to make it okay for people to fail, right? How many times do you hear people say, that progress doesn't happen without failure, or you learn from your mistakes. And even though we've got those good things, it says, say progress comes from failures and trying, you learn from your mistakes, right? On this opposite side, go all the way back to your childhood. What happens when you fail? You get discouraged. You do, right? And what happens from the person in charge in most places? Think about your parents or your teacher when you went out on an e- uh, on the edge of something and you drew something that didn't quite meet the teacher's explanation of what you were supposed to do in that project, what happened, right? Teacher always comes at you. That's not what I said to do. I said to draw your house. That doesn't look like a house. Mm-hmm. It looks like a car, right? And so whatever it is, you immediately get that feedback of that's not what we told you to do. We told you to do it this way. And you failed because you didn't do it this way. So really from early in our lives, we are taught that when you take risks and fail, that there will be negative consequences. And there are, you know, it's, it's, we can say things all day long, like feedback is a gift, but nobody wants that gift. Let's be honest, right? Because we were raised where the expectation is to make an A on the first test grade, not when you're allowed to retake it, right? The goal is to do it the first time. And so we, we've created an environment where failure isn't an option. So how do you pull back from that? How do you get to a place where conflict, disagreements, where failing is seen as a good try. Now, before um, we dig into it a little bit more, and I'm so bad, our listeners know this by now, I'm so bad with names, but I really want to find out what her name is so I can totally give her credit for this. Sarah Blakely, she's the founder of Spanx. She's CEO and founder of Spanx. And I actually watched a video once. And uh, for those of you with younger people, if you're trying to change this, this kind of mentality now, she told a story about her childhood and her father. And you know how at dinner, another place where you learn to focus on what you did well, not your failures, you go around the table. Well, I used to, as a child, we used to go around the table. What'd you do well today? What was great today? What was successful today? Right? So the whole world teaches you to focus on what, what you, when you knock it out of the park, not when you fucking hit a pop-up And the pitcher catches it, right? (laughs) But Sarah tells the story of her dad. And at the dinner table, her dad would have them share something that they tried and fucked up royally. He did not say fucked up because they were children. Um, But what is something you did today, something you tried today that made you nervous, made you uncomfortable, you weren't sure you could do it, but you tried it anyway, Um, And they were only allowed to share their failures. And when they shared their failures, the whole family went around high-fiving each other because they tried, not because they failed, but because they were willing to take a risk and try. Now, the truth is, most cultures don't encourage that. 
And you know, even if you think about, um, you and I have both been, this is a big one for me. We're in my soapbox place again. You and I have both had the opportunities to present in front of leaders and senior executives in small growing business, like entrepreneurial environments. We've also had that opportunity to be in front of Fortune 500 um, leaders as well, right? And think about when your boss prepared you to put that presentation together. Not once did they say, yeah, tell them about that thing that you tried and didn't work out and you learned to do it better because of it. They told you to skip the whole tried and it screwed up and focus on, like, you will get leaders that purposely help you critique out the mistakes because, again, let's be very honest, work doesn't want you to fail. So how do you fix that? How do you create a culture where you can trust each other, where you can be weak without getting negative consequences, where you can say that you need help with something without getting negativity thrown back at you? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, um, absence of trust in an organization. Yes, it starts with leaders because I think from a team perspective, if your leader creates that dynamic amongst your team, you're going to be more successful. And so it's interesting that you shared that story about, you know, the CEO of Spanx, because how often do you hear about families high-fiving failures? But at least you've gone out and you've tried something and you won't know if something won't work until you try it. So I I think that's a a critical component. I think um, really where you see this so many times, you see this in movies like Mean Girls, right? Where there's like lack of trust, where they literally create a circle of trust. And then people like, I, I think they like fell into other people's arms to create that trust. And share some, you know, some vulnerability with their team. So I think that's a good perspective when you take a look at trust and how you can have a good starting point. But there has to be a starting point, even if there's already absence there for whatever reason from a previous leader or from you yourself as the leader. I think you have to start somewhere and create a new dynamic in that team. You do have to start somewhere, but, and as a leader, you have to recognize that it could take time, right? Because if you are someone who has tried vulnerability in the past, if you have tried to be honest with a person, one of the things that I always talk about with this book is an aha moment I had when I was reading it. Um, And there was a, there was a comment in the book that basically expressed, and and I'm not quoting it word for word, so you guys will get the gist, but um, it basically expressed, people will teach you how to react or respond to them based on the way they respond to what you do or say, right? And I remember at the time, I had one particular person on my team that I didn't connect with well. I always felt like she would ask for advice, but then when you gave her advice, she would become very frustrated um, by the advice she was given. Now, because of how our meeting was set up and how our leader took us into this book review, if you will, 
it actually became possible for us to be vulnerable. And I did disclose to that teammate, I said, you know what? I don't share with you openly because the one time I did give you feedback, you literally blew up. Like you became incredibly angry and you didn't want to hear it, right? And, and the way she was pushing back and it was also requested feedback at the time. So one of the things that I learned with her in particular is not to be honest. She taught me not to be honest. And the truth is, a lot of people will say that that's not fair, that you decide not to be honest. We're humans, right? So this is another one of those, you might not like my answer, but I'm going to give it to you. As humans, when you know the other person is going to behave in a certain way, you start to do a mental calculation in your mind as to whether or not dealing with that reaction is worth the effort. Like you, you really do start to weigh, do I need to share this enough that I'm willing to put up with that reaction? You start to look at the pros and the cons. Will the positive from telling this person this outweigh the 15 minutes of tangent that I'm going to have to listen to? And then as humans, we make choices on whether or not we're willing to do that. So I think we do teach each other when and how we can share with, with one another. We can, it can happen when you share with people and it comes back to you a different way. You start right there, you learn you can't share, right? It can happen when you reach out and ask for help and all you get in return is just a, a lot of regurgitation of the fact that you need help. Well, I mean, if you're not actually going to help me with this, why would I admit my vulnerability and reach out anymore if all you're going to do is verbally tell me what I already know, what I just admitted to you, right? And so there are a lot of things in play when it comes to trust. There's also self-talk, right? You bring relationships from previous experiences to your current experiences. So it is outside, it is inside. It does require, though, being able to be honest with people about why you are the way you are. So let me ask you, Michelle, if a if your 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 whole foundation has to be placed off your leader, can you still have absence of trust in other areas of your team, but the leader has still created that foundation for everybody to engage and be truthful and have trust amongst each other? So um, I have a basic theory when it comes to leadership that at regardless of the situation, at the end of the day, all roads lead to the leader. All successes and all failures lead to the leader. And the reason I believe that is because they are in the position, they have the actual um, positional power and they have the influence to set a standard um, across the, the entire department. So whether they set that standard and hold people accountable or not, it really does fall on the leader. For example, if you have that difficult employee that blows up every single time they get feedback, it's the leader's place to either help change that employee's behavior or change that employee with someone who doesn't blow up. As peers, as teammates, I can't 
make someone react better when they hear feedback. What I can do is seek help from my boss when I'm not having successful relationships with people. And my boss has to take care of that. I don't know. That's my thought. What are yours? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I've uh, I've been uh, in a team where my boss is freaking awesome and creates trust amongst ourselves, but you still have that one bad apple and it, you just can't trust them. But it, But the leader has no idea that that person is not trustworthy, right? Because they come off so very polished and say all the right things when needed, right? So it's tough when there's no visibility there. When you have literally every person doing and being, you know, doing the right thing, being trustful, and there's just one, this one outside key player, and the leader has no visibility or insights into that person and, and, and can't see it because there's no examples for them to go off of because it's just so broad and vague. So Yes, all roads lead down to the leader. But if a leader, if you share with the leader and they can't see that, they've had discussions and it still doesn't change, it doesn't mean, it doesn't really mean much other than they can get rid of that person, but you're not going to just get rid of someone for not being trustworthy. But should you? Well, maybe, depending on the circumstances, depending on how egregious the situation is. So I want to talk a little bit about probably the most effective team that I worked with prior to working with you and Keith in Real Talent. And actually, I'm going to give you two examples prior to us. And I think the three groups, we all had a couple things in common. So many years ago in, in a retail career, I worked with a core group of managers. It was a really large retail store. So we would have weekly meetings. Um, and there were times that those weekly meetings would be crazy heated because we disagreed with each other. Um, but we had an overarching principle that we would meet together, we would work it out. Even if we didn't come to a unanimous agreement, we would come to a consensus. And when the six of us got up and walked out of the room, that we would all support that consensus. And that hour to two hours in that meeting, depending on what our topics were, if someone had just stepped in and seen that meeting, they probably would have thought we hated each other. But I am still ridiculously good friends with all of those people today because it wasn't about hate or dislike. It was about understanding that the six of us were all coming from different places. We had different points of view. We had different experiences. And we were trying to share all of those together so that our final solution was the best one. And I was able to build that relationship later in a leadership development series that we put together. I partnered with um, an instructional designer at the time, Michael, and we were creating a, I was going to be the facilitator. He was the instructional designer. And we were putting together a three and a half day workshop for high potential leaders. And during that time, we had had someone reach out and say, I'm interested in uh, learning and development. Can I shadow you guys? And we let her shadow through the whole process. And uh, she told us the exact moment. She was like, I was starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. And she, I said, when, what part made you uncomfortable? Because I was like, Michael and I were like 
we were fine. What are you talking about? And she said this specific example. There was one place where I had disagreed with an activity that was put in and I disagreed with it from the beginning because I didn't think it was possible. And during the pilot of the class, I chose not to teach it the way he wrote it. And it didn't work out, right? Even though I edited or tried to edit it a little bit. And so when I was talking, I was like, this activity doesn't work. And he looked at me because I was very passionate about it. And he said, how would we know you didn't even teach it the way it was written? Maybe (laughs) if you taught it the way it's written, we could figure out what the problem was. Um, And you know what? He was right in that moment. He was absolutely right. But I didn't feel offended. He didn't feel offended when I pushed back. You know, I pushed back saying, as a skill facilitator with hundreds of platform hours with this particular audience, that he should have valued my input more from the beginning. And I've considered a new activity from the beginning instead of asking you to do something. Um, and we worked it out. We came to an agreement. Uh, the next day, I was going to teach it as it was written. Sure enough, it failed. I just like to say, I told you so, Michael, but (laughs) she did reach out to us. She was talking to us after and she said, that doesn't make you guys uncomfortable. And I was like, no, but the reason, and I think the reason um, you, Keith and I are so effective together is because Michael and I went into this with one kind of overarching purpose or vision, right? Which was to create for us, it was to create an organization that could help other businesses maximize their people and their people talent for the success of the individual as well as the business. We had kind of a predefined vision. Um, Michael and I had that too. It was to create a workshop that would result in actual promotions, people being prepared for their job and being able to stay in their job for longer because they had that workshop before they were promoted. Um, And then the same thing in that group that I was talking about earlier, our goal was whatever it was we had to release or change within that retail space, we wanted to be able to do it in a way that all 40 employees were on board and united. So for me, I feel like that's where a lot of leaders fail is because they don't stand up and say, here's who we are as a department. Here's who we are as a team. Here are my expectations of you. um, And here's what you should expect from me. When you have that clarity of purpose, and you're all walking the same path together, it's easy to look over at the other person and say, you know what? I don't think I'm doing this the easiest way possible. Can you help me look at what I'm doing? Because you're all united in a one vision. Yeah, you know, I I would think you, if you're all walking together, you're all crossing the desert together and someone's carrying a backpack and it's getting too heavy, I would hope someone would have the the capabilities of being vulnerable with their other team member and saying, you know what, I absolutely, this this backpack's heavy. Can you help me out, right? And so I absolutely think that's 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 an important and critical function. And I think that's what what the absence of trust 
is from a, you know, a dysfunction and how you can create a area of vulnerability and trust amongst your team to be able to do that and give them the time and the effort and the dedication to be able to do that as a leader. So I agree. It starts with a leader, but it also ends with each individual amongst that team. Everybody plays a part in the whole process. Yes. Agreed. And there are, so, there are definitely some things that you talked about, like those vulnerability exercises. Those are a good place to start to see um, when and if people are willing to be vulnerable. There are some other things for sure that you can do as a leader. Demonstrating vulnerability often helps to set the stage. Creating a safe environment um, for your team will also help to establish that, you know, making clear, maybe it's even in your meetings or a topic that you know that's going to be controversial. Maybe you set it up by saying, you know what, we're probably going to have differences of opinions on this. Let's talk them all out. Let's decide as a core team what the final solution is and let's just move forward. I think there is also, there is a risk though in situations like that when you get that team agreement that you will commit as a team. You can't use that as an argument that someone pushing back is them refusing to commit if you haven't allowed them to share in the first place. So it's got to start with, let's talk it out. Let's come up with the final solution and let's commit as a team that that's how we will move forward. Yeah, that's good. I think that's important too. Yeah, there's a number of obviously examples of team building exercises. You can do trust building exercise, vulnerability. Um, and I think you have to start somewhere. And that's why a lot of teams go through this training because they need a foundation and they need to be brutally honest with each other. And that's why you start with the absence of trust and how you gain, re- uh, you know, you can regain trust amongst your team if it's lacking and what foundational pieces you can put together. Yeah, for sure. Anything else, Michelle? You know, I just want to go, I want to reiterate something that I said in the beginning, which is the ability to build that trust within your team or not have that trust. It is the difference between the rest of these dysfunctions and overcoming them or not, right? So maybe it's time that you try something like Sarah's dad did, where you say, what did you try different today that didn't work? Um, Maybe it's, allowing each other to put uh, their failures on the page and not just put their successes on the page. Maybe it's expecting that makes a huge difference. You know, it's it's funny, um, at a job that I worked in the past, uh, we had to send in updates to our most of the jobs because I work remotely. Most of the jobs I've had, we've always had to do some kind of update to our supervisors um, because they don't see you every day. In one particular update, it was one particular team that I worked with. It was interesting because every single week, your peers' updates would get wordier or bigger in the process because we shared it with everyone on our team. And we, we all were like all across the country. There were eight or 10 of us all across the country. And every week, somebody's would get more robust about all of their successes than the last week. And When we finally sat down and started talking about it, what we uncovered as a peer group was that 
we felt like every time we would see somebody that was had a bunch of successes, we were thinking about all the things that we didn't get done or the things that we tried and it weren't, wasn't successful. And so we were starting to, and that's the self-talk part. We were starting to say, I'm not as good as them. And so then the next update, I'm going to outdo you, right? I'm going to put more stuff than you had. I'm going to focus on all of my successes. And we just, we went around this circle of how can I make my update better than yours for almost three months before we finally sat down um, and had an opportunity to say, and it actually even started with somebody in the group going, how, because we didn't meet very often face-to-face. So, but somebody in the group said, how is it possible that you do all of this in a 24-hour workday? Like, I can't even get my normal shit done, much less all this other stuff. Um, and she, one of my peers disclosed, she said, I only put all this stuff in there because he made me feel bad because his updates were so good. Um, and then what we realized in that moment was we were really allowing our self-talk to impact our ability to trust our team and be vulnerable with our team. Um, and so that was the other one that I mentioned earlier is that some of this is self-talk when it comes to trust. So I would say pause, ask yourself if, you, if you're avoiding a conflict with someone you can't trust or if you're avoiding being vulnerable or asking for help, pause and ask yourself, am I doing it based on a perception of how they are going to respond or have I asked for help in the past and that was what was returned to me, right? So pause and ask yourself, is this a hangup in your head or is this a hangup that's really a hangup? Um, and if it's a hangup that's a, a for real hangup, maybe that's the first place that you get vulnerable is say, you know, hey, I just want you to know I haven't been willing to ask you for help to carry that heavy backpack because remember when X, Y, and Z happened and you reacted by doing blank, I learned that it was easier just to suck it up and carry the backpack myself. So a couple of things that you can do, um, but it does start by recognizing that you really do have to get your entire team involved. You cannot change and create trust in a team without an entire team. You also cannot create it without your boss being in the same place that the entire team is. I think that's why I was so grateful that when I attended this, uh, it started as a book review and then merged into some experiential activities that required trust. Um, This was initiated by our leader um, and he made it clear what his expectations were going into it, that he wanted to overcome this. So you can't do it alone. You can't do it without your leader. And you have to have buy-in from all of your peers. I love it. Trust is hard. It is. And being vulnerable is hard, just as hard, right? So creating and the starting point for trust. But you have to start somewhere. You do. Well, great. Well, we are going to continue on with this series. So tune in next time where we're going to talk about the fear of conflict. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.